you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you that you are God who meets our needs. You meet us at the point of our need. In fact, you're there when we get to our need. You've already preceded us. Father, we know that no weapon formed against us can prosper. Father, we know that you command and beckon the angels to surround us and protect us in ways that we don't understand. Lord, we know that you inhabit the praises of your people. And I pray that you have seen us and been pleased with us today as we have worshipped you and praised you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. We're in a series on worship. What does it mean to worship God? I, I saw a story this week about a little boy, and uh, his family was much like my family. Uh, uh, they kind of pass around who gets to do the, the uh, blessing at the table, and so this little boy, it was his turn to do the blessing. And so he said, Dear Jesus, thank you for the food. Dear God, we had good church today. Wish you'd been there. I tell you, I, I, I watch some worship services and I wish God had been there. I see a lot of things put on television in the name of exalting God and they're as dead as a doornail. I watched a worship service one time in Fort Worth, Texas. The church was paying $4,000 a week to be on television and the preacher preached on why Baptists have business meetings. Now, if that's not the biggest waste of God's money and God's time, first thing, God doesn't have business meetings. He's already decided all the business ever going to be decided. Y'all awake out there? We, we, do need, we need to start over. You okay? We'll start over again. I got all the time in the world. Y'all all right? Everybody okay? Some of you not sure? It's all right. Just hold on. Buckle your pew belt. You'll make it through the end of the hour. This is a psalm of praise. A psalm of proclamation. It's a psalm of David written when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Now, you want to talk about folks that got excited. The people would see the Ark coming back and being returned to Jerusalem to its rightful place. There inside that Ark were the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments. There was the manna. There was the rod that Aaron used that budded. There on top of that were the the angels, the cherubim, and the mercy seat of God where the sacrifices for sin were offered. David wrote this as a psalm of praise. It is filled with the praise of God and with the adoration of God and proclamation of who he is. Now notice in your notes the quote by Ronald Allen, Worship is an active response to God whereby we declare his worth. Worship is not passive, but is participative. Worship is not a mood, it is a response. Worship is not just a feeling, it is a declaration. It is a psalm of singing, a psalm of salvation, a psalm of self-denial, and a psalm of walking in the presence of God. Look at how he begins this when he tells us worship is singing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly
to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Now, this psalm tells us what we're supposed to do when we come to church. And three times in the first two verses, he says, sing. Did you sing today? If you didn't, you sinned today. If you didn't sing, you sinned. And you ought to stop listening to me and ask God to forgive you that He gave you breath to sing with and you didn't use it. That He gave you an opportunity to worship and you didn't take advantage of it. Don't tell me about your voice. I've heard that sad song enough. I've used it. Don't tell me about that. God says, sing three times. And you had any number of song there, songs there that you could have sung on. You could have hummed on them. You could have just found a pitch and gone with it. I mean, you could have done anything. But you're commanded to sing. Now, notice what he says. Three times we're commanded to sing, and he says, first of all, a new song. <laughs> I like that. God has such a sense of humor. He knew they were going to be Baptist. And he knew they were going to be Methodists and Presbyterians. And he knew that we're all God's frozen people and we just don't want to sing anything new. I don't want to sing anything new. Well, you know what? There was a day when somebody introduced amazing grace into the church, and somebody said, that's new. I don't like that. We kind of like it now, don't we? Sing to the Lord a new song. When's the last time you learned a new song? Oh, this morning I tried, you know. <laughs> tried to learn one. Well, good for you. Because you're commanded to sing to the Lord a new song. Listen, every song is new sometime. Doesn't matter how old it is. The Hallelujah Chorus was new one day. He says, sing to the Lord a new song. Now, if you want to get out of your comfort zone a little bit, learn some songs you don't know. And experience what God says to you afresh and anew out of new words and new songs and new rhythms that you may not be normally accustomed to. Sing to the Lord a new song is what he said. I, I sat down with a man uh, back in the mid-80s, a man that I deeply respect who loves God, and we were talking about the battle among Southern Baptists over inerrancy and over whether we were people of the book and whether we believed in inerrancy. And he made a statement to me along these lines. He said, you know, the next battle for Southern Baptists will not be about the word, it will be about worship and about styles of worship. And people who say they believe the Bible will have major disagreements over styles of worship. You know why? Because Satan hates for God's people to praise him. Satan doesn't mind you sticking your Bible up in the air and saying, I believe this thing from cover to cover as long as you don't live it, as long as you don't walk in the power of it as long as you don't obey its commandments. He doesn't care if you say you believe it, as long as you do nothing about it. You see, there's a command to sing a new song. Now, generally, uh, you and I tolerate other people's opinions and their preferences, unless we're talking about politics or church. And then we kind of bow up and say, now, wait a minute. You know, I, wait a minute now. now I, I, I was raised that way. Well, I was raised some ways I had to confess to, and you can go ahead and confess yours. <laughs> I mean, I went to a dead church. 
where God didn't even bother to show up most Sundays. We sang the same old stuff. The preacher would preach for 25 minutes, and he'd get to the end and said, I said all that to say this, and he'd give his message that he got out of Reader's Digest somewhere in about three minutes, and all the young people sitting there saying, if he had said that just at the beginning, we could have been home by 1130. Sing to the Lord a new song. You see, most of what we do is based on our culture, based on the generation we were raised in, and based on our preference. Now, let's just be honest. Some of us like different kinds of music than others. Some of us, boy, and if we did a little bit of country, Brother Bill, oh, I'm telling you, boy, our boots would be out. We, we'd have a buckle as big as a dish plate, man. We'd be singing there, <laughs> singing about Jesus, singing a little country. Now, some of us are a little bit country, and some of us are a little bit rock and roll. We kind of like a little bit of a beat. We like a little bit of a backbeat. And sometimes we like a little bit of a lot of slapping on the bass guitar. We kind of, oh, we kind of like that. That feels kind of good. We kind of enjoy that because that's kind of the way we were raised. You know, Elvis was cool for us. Now, some of us, we like classical. We like, you know, everything where we just, we, you know, most people, they, they sit there and they do their heads to the side a little bit like this one. <laughs> when they like classic, they kind of they get this otherworldly look about them. They, you know, some people like classical, and I like classical. I've got classical music on my CD player in my office right now. I like a broad spectrum of music. Some of us like pop music. Uh, i tell you a funny story. Rick Stanley, Rick Stanley, who is Elvis Presley's stepbrother, uh, we were walking down the hall one day a few months ago before Lisa Marie and uh, Michael Jackson broke up, and he said, you know, he said, I'm the stepbrother of the king of rock and roll, and I'm the uncle of the king of pop. <laughs> he said, I'm in a mess. <laughs> he says, sing a new song. Now, whatever your style is, the key is, is it singing to the Lord? And does it bless his name. Three times he says, sing to the Lord. You know, the writer of Revelation says, he is the one who was and is and is to come. Why do we sing to him? Because of who he was, because of who he is, and because of who he is to come. Now, Colossians 3.16, that verse is in your notes. It says, we are to teach and admonish one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Do you know that when you worship through songs and hymns and spiritual songs that you are teaching other people around you about God and that you are admonishing other people around you about your relationship with God and encouraging them on in their relationship with God. Notice what he uses. He uses three different terms. Now, some people think we ought to only sing hymns. That's all we ought to sing. Some people think we ought to only sing choruses. I haven't found anybody yet that says we ought to just sing spiritual songs because most of us don't know what that means. But let's talk about these three terms. First of all, a chorus. A chorus would be what we know as a psalm today. The psalms we refer to as the Jewish hymn book, but quite frankly, it would better be described as the Jewish chorus book because choruses are more testimonial than theological. And a chorus is a song that celebrates the God of the present. You read the Psalms. David talks about what happened in the past, but he praises God for who he is in the present, for God's deliverance, for God's salvation, for God's wonder. Now, there is theology in those courses, 
but it is primarily David's testimony of God's sovereignty and God's faithfulness. These courses are normally uh, short, and they are simple songs, and they are repetitive. That's why the, the first verse in this psalm says, Sing to the Lord. And he says, Sing three times. That's because he knew that people in the South had a hard time remembering words, so he repeats a lot. <laughs> See, the Lord understands us at the point of our need, and he knew we're slow, so he helped us along, and he gave us songs that are repetitive. By the way, some of the songs you sang this morning are Scripture. They're just not little songs that somebody made up. They're scripture put to song. Choruses teach us about the God of the present. Hymns are more doctrinal. Hymns teach us and, and exalt the God of history. They are longer than a chorus, but you know what? Most hymns have choruses. Do you know the victory in Jesus has a chorus? You ever just sung the chorus of victory in Jesus? You ever just sung the chorus of because he lives? You know why? It's the hook. It's the tag that the hymn writer uses to get you to remember the song because if he can get you to remember the chorus, it becomes easier for you to remember the verses. The hymns are songs that are more doctrinal. They are more theological than testimonial. They exalt the greatness of God. Now, spiritual songs are songs that point to the God of the future. Spiritual songs would be a spontaneous melody built on a chord or a chord progression that talks about the God of the future, and they are mystical, really, kind of in nature. I was uh, picking up three of the four hymn guys. That sounds kind of funny, three of the four hymn guys. I was picking up three of the four hymn guys at the airport uh, after they left here and flew back in here to get their cars, and, and I just had one of them, ended up with one of them with me in our van and going to the hotel and he was telling me about something that the Lord had laid on his heart, and he was telling me about something that was going on, and he began to share. He said, he said you know, it kind of goes something like this, and he began to share a song that was basically built on a chord and a chord progression. And I went home and told Terry, I think I've heard a spiritual song because it just was a song that the Lord had given him, very simple, on a simple chord, and yet very meaningful about the Lord. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's a chorus or a hymn or a spiritual song, Paul says we're to do all three. We're to do all three. Now, are you doing it to the Lord? Are you singing it for the Lord? Notice the second thing. There is to proclaim his salvation. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation. The word proclaim means to make known or to spread the news. He says we're to tell of his glory among the nations. Now, what are we here for? We're here to sing to the Lord and to proclaim his glory, and to tell of his glory among the nations. So our singing is to the Lord, but it's also a witness to the world. Now let me ask you, is your singing and is your worship and is your praise of God a witness to the world? Now, choir, go home one day this week and watch yourself on television. When you're singing... And when you're not, because <laughs> it's funny when you're not, uh, go home and watch yourself because it's amazing what the camera will not cover. <laughs> it will not cover frowns. And it's amazing because these cameras, just, Mark, just take this camera and just kind of go across the audience. Right? Don't get it on me. Just swing the, swing the camera out here. It's a, don't look at the camera now. Don't look at the camera. Pretend you don't know that it's going. You know what? He moves that camera around like that while you're singing. 
I watched last Sunday morning's worship service. There were a whole bunch of you that weren't singing. <laughs> You're sitting there like, Now, let me ask you something. You think some old boy out there channel surfing with a hangover from Saturday night, you think that boy is going to be impressed with your worship? You know what he's saying? It ain't worth getting up and going to. If the camera followed you for an entire hour, not on me, not on the choir, not on the soloist. It just focused in on you for the entire hour. Let me ask you something. Would anybody call the counselors on the line that we've published and say, man, I saw that guy, I saw that woman, they were so in love with Jesus, whatever they got, that's what I want. Or would they turn it off and say, dead church, predictable, boring, everybody's just there punching their card, hoping that they'll get in heaven by showing up. What would they say? We are to proclaim we are to tell, and we do that in our worship. It is a witness to the world. We go to work when we worship. And we go from here to work for God and to serve God and to proclaim His greatness. We worship by praising His greatness. Look at verse 4. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. You know, a great God deserves great praise. If I didn't serve a great God, I wouldn't think I have to greatly praise him. But I serve a great God. I serve a great and awesome God, and he is greatly to be praised. Now, when we come to worship, there's two ways to approach it. First of all, we can ask God to get here first and invite us to join him. There are a group of us, and there are different men each week, but there are about 25 to 30 men that gather in this place at about 7.45 every Sunday morning to pray about our worship services, to pray for me, to pray for the music, to pray for you, to pray for the invitation time. They gather in this place, and we gather around the front, and then we break up and we pray all around this building. You know, we can ask God to get here first and then invite us to join him. I don't know about you, but there's something exciting about going someplace where God is and him inviting me to come to be a part of what he's doing. Or we can get there first and invite God to join us. We can get there first and invite God to join us. Have you ever invited God to join us? Well, he's here. He lives inside of us, I know. But there's something about the presence of God resting on a people that is unexplainable. Bill this morning was praying uh, during, between one of the songs in the early service, and he said, Lord, would you surprise us today? If he surprised us today, we'd have to do CPR on 15 people. I mean, I can remember when we quit printing the bulletin as a bulletin. We had people that went into coronaries. Well, I, I don't know when everything is. Well, just go with the flow. Right. You know, just kind of let it happen. You know, we may take the offer and catch you off guard. You might give something today. <laughs> you heard about the railroad conductor that got saved? 
And he was so used to going by and saying, ticket please, ticket please, ticket please, ticket please. And this old boy got saved and they asked him to be an usher in the church. And so he walked by and there was this lady and she was dressed up. I mean, she was dressed to the nines. And she just passed the plate on by, just kept it on going. And he reached up like he was pulling for the bell, pulling for the thing to stop the train. He went, "Woo!" He said, lady, either pay up or get off this train. You see, we worship the Lord's greatness. Now notice the word idols. The word idols means nothing, and they can do nothing. They can't see, they can't hear, they can't intervene, they cannot answer when we call. Listen, folks, all of life is worship. Only the gods change. Now, did you hear that? All of life is worship. Only the gods change. Donald Trump lives to worship money. Hugh Hefner lives to worship sex. There are people that live to worship greed and materialism and their houses and their boats and their cars and all kinds of things. Everybody in this world is worshiping something the gods only change. Everybody's worshiping. The guys that are out there fishing this morning and playing golf this morning, they're worshiping their God. They're doing what they have given their life to. And I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be a golf, golf course in heaven, and it's the Augusta National, and hell for them is they've got to stand outside the gate and watch us play it. <laughs> Verse 4, For all the gods of the people are idols. Let me tell you what that literally means, and you need to write this down because this is so good in the Hebrew. For all the nothings of the people are nothing. Isaiah says that the molten images are wind and emptiness. For all the nothings of the people are nothing. Now, when we greatly praise the great God, there are about four or five things that happen. First of all, it quickens the conscience. When you give great praise to God, it quickens your conscience of God's holiness. You cannot get involved in worship and live with unholiness in your life. Secondly, it feeds the mind with the truth of God. To greatly praise God is to feed your mind with the truth of God. It is to purge the imagination with the beauty of God. All of us came into this room, and we got some ugly stuff in our heads. I mean, we got lust and thoughts and evil desires and all kind of junk and baggage that we carried with us from our old life into our new life, and you need to learn to greatly praise and worship God because when you do that, as you worship the Lord and as you focus on Him, He begins to purge your imagination of the things of this world and gives your imagination to the things of God. Then He opens the heart to the love of God. And one that's not listed there, it dominates the will to the purpose of God. It dominates the will to the purpose of God. Number three, worship by giving to the Lord. Look at verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before Him all the earth. Don Miller, who has been here several times in a prayer conference, has said there are five things that happen when you really worship. First of all, you bring something. Secondly, you say something. Thirdly, you hear something. Fourth, you give something. And number five, you take something. You know, when it comes to giving, some people stop at nothing. You'll get that in a minute. You know, when, when you understand about worship 
then you understand about giving. And a singing church is a giving church. And the more we express ourselves in song, the better we are able to express ourselves in substance. Because God's got something He wants to do in us and through us and with us. In verses 1 through 3, three times He says sing. In verses 7 through 9, three times He says give. Now we're going to give three things. First of all, we give a testimony. Look at verse 7. Ascribe. That word is found six times in Psalms. The other three times are in Psalm 29 and verses 1 and 2. The word ascribe is Yahab, and it means to bring or to come or to give or to place. To bring or come or give or place. We give unto the Lord. Now, Tozer says we are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. That's what we're to give, is a testimony of an everlasting preoccupation with God. Secondly, we're to give a tribute. He says bring an offering. You see, you make a living by what you get. You make a life by what you give. And nothing given to God is ever wasted. You bring an offering. God doesn't need our money, but we need to give it. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need our money. But we need to learn how to let it go. You see, in the ancient cultures... When a person came before a sovereign, before a ruler, they would bring a gift and lay it at the feet of the sovereign as an expression of their submission to that sovereign ruler. No self-respecting Jewish person of Christ's day or the time of David would have ever come into the temple and come empty-handed. There were 13 boxes for offerings in the treasury, and there were four boxes for free will offerings. Zacchaeus was a man who gave. He was an honest Jew, sort of. He was a tax collector, but he gave his tithe. But when he found Jesus, he wanted to give more than he'd ever given. You see, you worship God with a tribute. You worship God with your money, with your substance, with your offerings. Let me ask you something. Have you ever denied yourself or your family anything to bring an offering to God? Not one of us will go without a meal today, but some of us let the plate go by without doing anything about it. Let me tell you why it's important, folks. Two weeks ago, while Andrea Rogers was in medical intensive care, fighting for her life, her husband Tommy left and went home to take a shower and to shave and to get a change of clothes. And while he was out, he came by the church and wrote his tithe check. While his wife was fighting for her life, he loved his God enough to bring his offering because he hadn't been able to come to church. Some of you in this room think God's going to bless you and you're taking his money and you're buying clothes with it and you're buying cars with it and you're going to take it on vacation with you, and you're going to get mad at God when something doesn't go your way. Tommy Rogers taught me a lot by a simple act of faith. And you know what? He doesn't know today what that medical bill is going to cost him. 
with a wife that was in medical intensive care for three and a half weeks. He has no idea, but he gave an offering. Can I tell you another side of that story that I didn't tell the other service? The day that he did that, I went to medical intensive care and I saw him. And I said, Tommy, somebody's given me something to give to you. And I need to give it to you. And I handed him a fresh new $100 bill. And he said, where'd that come from? I said, you don't need to know. I said, it came from somebody who God laid it on their heart to give you that. And then he told me about coming by and bringing his tithe. He said, you know, I trusted God in writing that check, and God has already returned to me my trust. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. What's it going to take to get you to give to God? What's it going to take for you to bring an offering? Some of you are so tight, you couldn't get a quarter out of your hand with a wrench. And you think, you're going to worship God, my friend. You will never be set free to worship God until you've been set free with your wallet. Until you quit using your wallet for your own glory and your own gain and start using your wallet as an expression of meeting the needs of others and giving glory to God. Worship is an act of giving. Now, I've already lost some of you, and this series is going to go all the way to August. <laughs> and I'm into the second message, and I got into money. I can't help it. If you'll tell David to take it out of Psalms, I won't preach it. But when he says bring an offering, that's what he meant. Thirdly, give your trust. Come into his courts. We are to come to worship him. We are to worship the Lord in holy attire. We are to tremble before him. Now, I don't know what it means to worship the Lord in holy attire. I, the word tie is in there somewhere, but, you know, I don't always wear a tie, but I don't know what it means. They didn't have ties, and they didn't have double-breasted coats, and they didn't have Neiman Marcus, and they didn't have heart chapter and marks. They didn't have any of that stuff in the day of Jesus. And most of the robes and outfits we put on for our pageants, they didn't have that stuff. They had just cloth, and it was just plain and simple. And I, so I don't know what holy attire is. I'll tell you this. Styles come and go, but good taste is always in style. And if you think you're going to get up and wear something to church, that when you stand up or sit down or lean over is going to be distracting to anybody around you, that's not holy attire. Now, if that's all you got, then you wear it. And nobody will say anything to you. If all you got is an old T-shirt and a pair of jeans and a pair of tennis shoes that got a hole in them, then you wear it and you come and you praise God and you don't feel bad about how you dress. Don't you feel bad about it at all. And anybody that looks down there knows that you, they're dressed up on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. Because I'm going to tell you, folks, you can clean up for church and still stink in the eyes of God. There ain't enough deodorant in the world to cover up a bad attitude. Worship the Lord. Tremble in His presence. John MacArthur says, Worship is all that we are reacting to all that God is. And then finally, worship with spiritual expectation. Verses 10 through 13. Verse 10 is the key. The Lord reigns. The Lord is to reign in our hearts. He already reigns in heaven. The first time He came, He came to save. The second time He comes, He'll come as judge. The first time He came, He came as a lamb. The next time He comes, He'll come as a lion. The first time he came, he came to comfort. 
The next time he comes, he'll come to divide. Are you ready for his coming? The Lord reigns. The old hymn says, One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. You see, only those who recognize his lordship are ready to worship. Now let me ask you a question I asked earlier. Did your worship today proclaim that the Lord reigns in your life and that the lost world needs Him? Do you have the spiritual expectation of, Lord, come? Everybody's got their ideas about when Jesus is going to come. He never said when He's going to come. He doesn't even know. He said, only my Father knows when I'm going to come. But I'm going to tell you when I think it's going to be. I think Jesus is going to come when we least expect it. And I'd put my money on him coming on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock at Baptist churches in America who are so dead that nobody wants to get saved in them. And he surprises us by how many are left because they never let Jesus reign. And I'm going to tell you, you can cry out to God all you want to after he comes, but it's too late. If you're going to worship him, you better get started now. If you're going to come to Him as Savior, you've got to come now. If you're going to surrender to Him, you've got to do it right now. And that's what the invitation is all about. I'm going to ask you to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed, please. Thank you for watching. If you would like a free audio tape of today's sermon, write us and request the program number on the screen. Write to First Fruits Ministries, 2201 Whispering Pines Road, Albany, Georgia, 31707, or call 912-883-1910 for your free audio tape of today's sermon. The scriptures that bother me are not, you know, who the beast is and who the Antichrist is. That's not the scripture that bothers me. The scripture that bothers me is in 1 Peter where it says, Be holy as I am holy. That's the one that bothers me. It's blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You see, we got a lot of people trying to figure out all kind of quirks and angles on the Word of God, and they're trying to get all kind of charts done, and they're trying to do all kind of things, and they want to get something really deep out of the Word of God. I'll give you something really deep. Go spend a week hungering and thirsting after righteousness. A moving, contemporary church based on strong, traditional values.